Voices is a podcast created by the Office of Multicultural Life at Muhlenberg College. The purpose of this podcast is to give space to those in marginalized groups to speak up, express how they feel, and talk about issues that they face in this world and on campus. The views expressed on the Voices podcast do not reflect the views of the Office of Multicultural Life. And welcome back to another episode of Voices. I'm your host, David, and today I'm joined by special guest for her senior spotlight, uh, Johnny's Vega. Do you want to say anything to the people? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me here today. Of course. Um, and from what I understand, you have a lot of responsibilities um, and different titles on this campus. Um, so I want to hear you talk about some of your experiences through those things and just kind of uh, highlight everything that you got done over the past four years. Yeah, okay. So... Um, so I didn't really start leadership a lot until my junior year, um, here. Freshman and sophomore year, I was, like, navigating campus, trying to figure things out, um, trying to find the love for the school because, you know, as a black body at a predominantly white institution, it's really hard to find your, your people. So, um, as a junior, I started to realize, well, sophomore, um, end of my sophomore year, I started to realize, you know, hmm, let's go into leadership opportunities. So, that made me branch out to become a, um, a tour guide first, an orientation leader, then an orientation team leader. Um, then I became vice president of the Destiny Woman of Color Association um, as well. And then I'm an RA currently for the first years. And then I'm also an intern in the Office of um, Admissions. So those are mainly all the leadership opportunities that I've done on campus. I'm also an emerging leader. Um, I guess you guys have heard of those um, individuals as well in other podcasts. Um, so I became mentors to other emerging leaders as well um, when they come to Muhlenberg. So the process, um, they're all very different. They're all in different departments. Um, I think being a black body in those departments, um, something that's always in the back of my head is how can we get more um, people of color um, in these leadership opportunities, but also how can I impact this department in a way that maybe someone else has not or that someone has, but trying to bring something back to life. Um, and I think that's what DWCA was um, initially trying to bring back women of color empowerment back on campus um, with alumni that have left um, that tried to start it. And then becoming an orientation leader, I mean, when I was a first year, I had a bad experience. Um, during orientation weekend, just because we ELs, we come on campus pre-orientation, you see a lot of black people, and then, you know, orientation come around, and boom, you're at a predominantly white institution. Um, and I was just separated for a lot from a lot of people of color once orientation weekend started, and I feel like I, my orientation leader couldn't help me. She wasn't engaging with me or trying to involve me in conversation, so... That led me to realize, you know, become an orientation leader and try to be a leader for someone else that is a person of color um, that's going through orientation weekend. And then I was like, accidentally, I applied for orientation team leader. Um, I thought it was for orientation leader when I was applying. Um, and when I got to the um, interview process, I realized that I'm applying for orientation team leader, but allowing to try to make a a diverse staff of orientation leaders that year was challenging because a lot of people of color think that Muhlenberg is sometimes against them and tries to talk, like use them as tokens and try to make it seem like Muhlenberg is as diverse as like 63%. Um, and trying to, you know, tell people that to keep that out of your mind and try to help the next generation that's coming to a predominantly white institution um, was a little challenging, but 
thankfully we did have some orientation leaders that were people of color that was able to, you know, push and help um, other students of color that were first years. There were still problems, um, but I think just being able to push that forward was a great opportunity um, as an orientation team leader. So, yeah. That's that's really interesting because usually when people are on here, I've asked like a few times a question about like what people's home lives were like before they got to school here and then how like uh, any like culture shock affected like their uh, like progression in terms of like how they, you know, uh, moved through you know, the space in the four years that they, you know, had to be here or however long they've been here. Um, and I think that's interesting because you're the first person that I think uh, was an OL that we've had on the podcast. Um, and so hearing about, like, the way that you sort of came at it from a different angle after your own experience right. um, and knowing that there needed to be a little bit, like, more going on there, I think that's really fascinating. Um, and I definitely want to get into more of... Uh, like asking about di like the different roles that you've had, um, specifically about DWCA and uh, about your, your time as an RA, because we haven't really talked about like what being an RA is like on campus either. Yeah. Um, but before that, I want to hear you talk about um, an event that you had over the weekend um, that I went to. If y'all didn't go to it, you missed out. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it was a it was a pop up shop uh, event. Um, and I just want to hear about, like, how that came together, what sparked the idea, um, and also how you felt about how the day went. Yeah. So um, I'm an entrepreneurship minor. So for our queue, we have to actually make a business. Um, and Dougie, if you guys don't know him, that's my, my partner in crime. Shout out, Dougie. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so he has a Jamaican limeade drink that he grew up on in Jamaica, um, and we started making it during Thanksgiving and, like, events when we go home and stuff like that for holidays. Um, and we, when we was in Georgia for this past winter break, my mother was like, you know, y'all should bottle this and sell it. Um, so we were just like, um, okay, like, we don't have time for that, but we'll think about it down the road. Um, and then we got into this Q class for entrepreneurship. Um, and initially we wanted to make milkshakes that was, like, fruit-based milkshakes. Um, and then we were then I realized, like, we have a whole drink that we know how to make um, that can actually make profit. Um, so our professor, his name is Greg, he actually got us in contact with Lyle, that's the um, manager of um, Jay's Local. And we connected, we spoke together, um, and we actually created a date for our pop-up shop. Um, we made around 10 gallons of limeade, um, cost us around $75 um, in total to get everything together. Um, and then we sold everything. Um, two people came in, they bought a gallon, um, and we made profit at the end of it. Um, it was a great, great pop-up. I think um, I was so happy to see diverse faces um, that just came over just to sample it. Um, our initial one was just a sample. It wasn't really more to, like, sell anything. Um, but, you know, as college students, we all balling on a budget. So I'm like, all right, let's try to get cups so we can still sell, at least to break even um, during this ev um, this little pop-up shop. So it went well. Um, I think we might do another one in April. It all depends. We're both seniors, so um, life is moving constantly. Um, so we'll just try to figure that out. But if we do have another one, it's just going to all be sold. Um, a lot of people said maybe sell cups for $3. Um, I don't want to bring it up too much because I'm scared to bring up the price so much that people are actually not going to buy it. Um, but because a lot of people s tasted the product, um, it might be valuable for $3. So we will see um, more in April, and most likely we'll make more. And then it will be hot outside, so we might have a stand outside and 
Um, more people might want to get something to drink because it's so hot. Um, but, yeah, that's how the process of, like, the whole pop-up shop came up. It's more because of our entrepreneurship minor. So I will say shout-out to the entrepreneurship department. Um, and I will say if you're looking to make a business in any type of form or any range, I would say definitely um, look into that minor um, because they are teaching you how to, you know, outreach, how to make a business, how to maybe get investors um, to invest in you um, possibly after college. So, yeah. You said someone bought a whole gallon? Yeah, two people. They bought a gallon. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> how much did that go for? We sold it for $20. So a cup was $2. A gallon made around like 8 if Eight I cups. had known, we could have got a gallon. Oh, I mean, you know, for next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that was a that was a great event um, for all who showed up. I, I, everybody loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was really good. <laughs> Thank uh, you. But next, I want to ask um, about dance, mm -hmm. um, both outside of Muhlenberg, uh, the stuff you've done, and and also here, um, just to talk about like when you started. Uh, how long you've been dancing for, and also, like, why you started dancing? Like, what was the thing that made you, you know, decide that this would this would be a passion of yours? Yeah, yeah so I'm from Brooklyn, New York. So um, I started dancing around 12. Um, I've always been, like, I guess a dancer and a mover. My mom used to say I used to just dance in the mirror and watch myself a lot. So she, like, threw me in dance class. But also, you know, as you get older, you start becoming a troubled kid, depending on who you are. Um, so it also was an outlet for me not to get in trouble and, like, after school, go to dance, um, on weekends, go to dance. Um, and my, mom, my mother paid a lot of money for it as well. Um, she invested a lot in my dance career um, because she also was a dancer when she was younger, um, and she was sad that she stopped. Um, so she was just like, you know, you have a passion for it, and she, she threw me into um, dancing when I was 12. Um, I danced at Alvin Ailey, Dance Theater of Harlem, um, Restoration um, Dance Youth Academy in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and it was great spaces, great spaces for black and brown bodies. Um, and then I realized I hated school. I hated the subjects. I just wasn't interested. So I was really happy to come to a liberal arts school um, that you can mix and match a lot of things. Um, so then I just realized, you know, dance is just going to be my outlet to go to college um, and major in it and do something that I love and wake up every single day doing something I love. Um, and then I came to Muhlenberg, again, at a predominantly white institution. It was very, very hard. I was the only black dancer in the class um, in the dance studio, and I didn't feel seen. And dance, when I was in Brooklyn, was joy. It was happiness. It was a hobby. But when I came to Muhlenberg, it was technique. It was, you know, how, how far can your leg extend? Um, can you do a backflip? Like, all of these things was more techni technical, and to see if you have technique and um, it created rather a love for it than a hate. Like it became a hate for it for me because I instead of going to class to learn something, I had to go to class to say you have to do two turns by the end of this day because everybody's on two turns. Um, so it became more of a job than a hobby. Um, and it's totally fine because, I mean, I'm doing this every single day. At some point it does have to become a job. Um, but it was very challenging to navigate um, a predominantly white institution as a dancer, um, going to dance auditions with around 300 people and then being maybe one of five dancers that's there and not knowing all the other black dancers, um, you know, and standing behind in the back of the room because everyone wants to hog the front. Um, and then trying to navigate that as a first year. Um, I didn't know Randall um, um, at my second semester of first year, I, I got into his African class and I got to know him. 
Um, and he's actually the first faculty member, like, I cried in his arms. Like, he was the first one because he actually stopped and said, like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, no, like, are you okay? And I just started bawling because I just realized that someone in front of me can see through me um, to the point that I've been crying every single day and nobody has been noticing. But my mother, and I'm two hours away from home, there's nothing that she can do. Um, and transferring, in my eyes, wasn't an option because it's like, if I have this pain, somebody after me is going to have this pain. Somebody after that person is going to have this pain. When is this pain just going to, you know, go away? Um, and and that's a lot of times that's my mental state. Like, how can I help the next generation? It's not always about you. Um, we all stand on our ancestors' shoulders to, a, to an extent. There's always somebody that came before us. Um, and I had to realize that. And I stopped dancing my, my freshman year, I stopped dancing because I was just so anxious to go into a classroom. I was scared that, like, people weren't really pushing me and challenging me, and I felt like other dancers in the class wasn't really connecting with me on a personal level. So I stopped dancing, um, and then COVID came around, and I was just like, you know, F this. Like, I need to go back into a studio. I miss what I used to love. Um, so I started dancing again. Um, I got into the dance studio again. I also was a hip-hop instructor for a close-by dance studio, um, but I did drop out of that because I realized that teaching wasn't my strength. I wanted to be more of a performer, um, but I like to be a mentor to people, so I feel like education is still something that's in my blood, but um, I just didn't want to teach dance. It just wasn't something, like, the kids was just giving me a lot of headaches and stuff, so I was like, no, this is not me. Um, but dance has been an outlet for me to to escape the reality. Um, and sometimes you can bring re the reality in a dance studio, but for me, it's my moment to escape it. It's my moment to realize, like, the lights is on you. It doesn't matter if someone's watching you or not. Like, you're performing for yourself. And I think it, it's full circle because in life, you're going through your life for yourself. Um, and I realized that in dance, like, it's all about me. It's not about somebody else. And, yes, while we're all court, um, dancers and on a stage, um, if I wasn't here, this whole stage would look different. Um, so we all play a certain role. So I realized, like, even in dance, I have to play my role. Um, and I just, and as a senior and as going into emotions, if you don't have a ticket, um, I don't know when this is going out, but hopefully you're going to see um, our piece. Um I feel like I'm going to cry after every single piece because I feel like I've grown mentally, physically, emotionally, um, and I'm just happy for that. And I think dance is also an outlet for me to realize that I've grown so much um, to be comfortable in a, a cast that's full of black and brown but also white bodies that's near me and be comfortable at the age of 22 um, when I wasn't at, at the age of 18. That's really, really well said. Um, and I want to pinpoint something you said specifically in there when you were talking about, um, like, your experience with Randall. Um, just how important it is for a lot of, because I, I think a lot of students don't understand the importance of um, what it means to have for, like, students of color somebody that you can go to that's in the faculty that's not, you know, just, like, one of your friends. Um, because I feel like, especially in a space like this, when you don't have some somebody like that or a resource like that, it can feel even more, uh, it can feel a little bit more desperate in terms of like, you know, how do I work through whatever I'm working through 
or you know sometimes it can be simple as like validation like if if everybody else is making you feel like you, you know you're crazy about something or you shouldn't feel a certain way about being the only like black dancer in a class um sometimes having that that person that you can actually go to and talk to um is really helpful um and randall shout out randall friend yeah. of the podcast no seriously um but <laughs> what do you think um sort of also going off your point of saying how you know you as a senior now and getting ready to go and, and do whatever you do, you want to make sure that you also can, can support other people that are coming up. Um, how or in what way do you think um, this can be both for you on an individual level or the school or the dance department? How do you think they can make changes to sort of make people more comfortable so that less people have to go through, you know, what you went through that, that freshman year? Um. That's a good question. So I would say the easiest thing will all just be bringing students of color together and also bringing faculty of color together so that they know that there are people here. Um, when I was a first year, like Eric Thompson, he kept on saying, go see Randall, go see Randall, go see Randall. And I'm like, who is this Randall person? Like, leave me alone. Like, I'm 17. I'm trying to figure out my life. I don't want to go into nobody's office at the wrong time or email people. You know, I'm first-generation student, so realistically, it's nobody before me that can teach me these things. Um, I had to teach myself, and I just I wasn't comfortable at that time to just throw myself in somebody's face and be like, hey, my name is Janice Vega. Like, people keep telling me to meet you. Um I think it will be easier to have that outlet to, you know, email these students of color and email faculty members of color or even have the faculty members of color email students of color. And it's like a double-edged sword because then it's going to be like a, well, why are they just directing to people of color? And I think a lot of times people don't look at things two-sided. And it's a benefit to have students of color and faculty of color to connect because, like you said, if I didn't know he was there... It's just I wouldn't have thought that a faculty member was there for me. And it's just the reality that black people are comfortable with black people. And because we live sometimes similar stories. So when I go to you and I say my father wasn't in my life, I don't want you looking at me like I got five heads. That's something that a lot of black and brown bodies share. It's a story that people share. It's going to be a different story but we sometimes share similarities. Um, and I'm not saying always put black people at the same table, but let them know that there's an outlet for them so that they're not lost. Because what they do is we spiral into a hole and then we're so deep in our hole that we can't get out because we felt like there was no one there. And then a lot of people, faculty members are busy. So you can't always outreach to one person. It's like everybody always think that Robin should be the spokesperson for, for DEI. She shouldn't be. There should be other people there. So where are they, and how can we connect each other to one another when we are first years so that we're not still lost by junior year? Um, so I guess that's some way that administration can possibly help dancers of color or even other people of color that's in other departments and also diversitize their faculty. I think that's something that we, as the Muhlenberg community, um, we still need help on. It's a growing process, um, but getting more black and brown bodies in STEM, in psychology, in sociology, in the education system, like that is something that is very, very, very important. Administration, if you're listening, um, <laughs> just listen. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and um, going into 
uh, what I think will probably be my last, like, real question, um, is based off, you know, all those experiences, the things that, you know, you learned, the the peaks, the valleys, the, the highs, the lows, um, looking back, is there something, either like a position that you held, um, you know, some type of award you received, uh, anything that you accomplished um, that sticks out just a little bit more than the rest for you? Is there just like that one thing that, you know, when you leave here, you'll be like, man, like, I'm really proud that I did that, you know, above everything else? Yeah, um, I don't, that's, that's a hard question for me, because I feel like, at least for my Muhlenberg experience, it was really holistically. I think, again, like, when I hit that point of my sophomore year, when I was like, I'm tired of this, because I wasn't raised this way, um, to like, run from everybody and run from the stuff that I love, um, to like, turn me around to leadership. And when I was in high school, I was in leadership opportunities, and I just dropped it when I came to college. Um, but I think maybe I, I will say the Destiny Women of Color Association process, um, because we are a non-Greek sorority on campus. So we do go through like a whole like sisterhood process um, that's very similar to a sorority process. We did that during COVID. And that shit, oh, my God, it was hard. It was hard because even though it was six women online, we all have very dis- different personalities. And I have a twin sister, so I know how to work well with like other women that's somewhat different than me but when you have so many different interests and personalities and people who have different boundaries like you might say girl shut up but somebody else might look at it as like that's mad disrespectful so having to understand and I think that process made me realize like everyone is so different and everyone has so many different boundaries and you can push someone's button just a little and you just made a whole fire and it went through, like, a process of women, but I think it's just a process of life. Like, you really don't know somebody until you really know somebody. Um, and it's still, even in the years of knowing someone, you still might not know their deepest secret. And that deeper secret can affect something that you say in the future. Um, and it's all, it's full circle. And I think that's just life. It's just full circle. Um, and there's no manual to it. And I think that's something that, as a senior, like, that's my biggest advice. Like, there's no manual to life. There's no manual to life. And if there is one, please pass it to me because I'm <laughs> trying to become successful and rich and a billionaire. But everyone has went through life differently. They had a kid before college and went to college. They dropped out of high school, got their GED, then had a kid. It's so many things that people do differently that you have to realize what's best for you. You can't think of oh, my mother said do this, so I'm going to do it this way. My mother don't want me to be a dancer, so I'm going to become a lawyer. Everything is about you because, God, like, when your mother leaves, it's your life at the end of it, and you can't continuously blame someone else because it is your life. And I think sometimes that is hard to go through because culture, and I understand the culture aspect, but a lot of times life is not all written in script, and you have to follow it bullet point by bullet point. And I think that's what I went through my college career, and I realized that, like, you hit oppression, you hit racism, you hit discrimination at 17 years old when you've never experienced that in Brooklyn, New York. And then you hit a hole, you came out of that hole, and you just became great. And you're still growing. As a 22-year-old, I want to become an admissions counselor and help underrepresented students get into college wherever that might be, HBCU, predominantly white institution, or all women, or all men's college, whatever that is for you, I want that for them because 
I want our black and brown bodies in colleges, in higher education to better themselves, whatever that means. If you don't want to go to college and you just have a hobby of photography or makeup artist or nail tech, fine. But how are we going to make you a billionaire in 10 years? And I think at 22, that's where I want my life to be. That's what I want to give to this world. But at 30, it might be something totally different. I might own land. I might be having real estate properties. I might be traveling the world and, you know, thinking about myself because, again, it's my life. Um, and you have to balance when are you helping and when are you being selfish and saying, you know, everything is, it's, some things are for you. Um, and I think that's where I am at this moment. And I think Muhlenberg was a holistic experience for me. It's not a lot of things I can't really pinpoint and saying, like, yes, this is the one. But I do think DWCA was a process for me to realize, like, boundaries on people are, like, really, really, really big. And it's, like, a big spectrum of it. No, that was wise, wise words. I couldn't have said any of that better myself. <laughs> um, and I think that's, like, a perfect way to cap off a, a senior spotlight um, because, like, yeah, dropping the wisdom for, for everybody else listening. Um, and, you know, I, I think that um, – you know, moving forward, uh, we've only done one senior spotlight before. It was with Trayvon. Mm -hmm. um, if you're listening, we love you, Trayvon, friend <laughs> of the podcast. Um, I think it's interesting hearing, uh, you know, everybody that comes on to this podcast talk about their experiences. But when you hear, like, a senior talk about, you know, the things they've been through and how it's affected them, um, I think it's really fascinating to hear, like, what they, what they leave here with um, as opposed to, you know, like, I, I knew you freshman year. I knew Shayron freshman year. Um, the places that people start at and the places people end at and just seeing that that whole journey and progression, um, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Um, but, yeah, that that's the end of this episode. Uh, thank you, Johnny, for coming on. Um, if you have any last words for the people, just, just let them know anything you want to plug. I give you the floor. Um, I mean, thank you for having me. I think this is a great experience. Um, I feel like y'all should definitely keep doing senior spotlights because it's definitely going to shed light on some people, um, even prospective students that are interested in the major or minors that we are in. Um, but I would just say for anyone that's listening, you know, fight for your dreams and keep pushing um, and be selfish sometimes. You know, if you don't want to go to class, <laughs> take that nap because it's well needed. You can't function without your, your mind and your heart and your body. Like your body is your temple. Um, and I would say always pay attention to it. Well said. Thanks again, Johnny's, for coming thank on. You. Uh, thank you, Shoba, uh, who, who's our audio engineer, as always, doing a great job. Um, and thank you all for listening. Uh, this is the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs>